would you do if like I got a call during uh, our recording session? I just answered it and started talking. Just had a full blown conversation like right in the middle. I, I would note the time and cut it from the episode, I guess. You got to stand up for yourself, buddy. You got to slap that phone out of my hand and say, straight, straighten up. Fly right. Fly right. Okay, I think we're all set to go here. Okay. All right. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award um, podcast. Not, it's a podcast in full of melodrama, and uh, it's an all-star. Yes, it is an all-star it's podcast. the first all-star vehicle podcast. We are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this week is episode number 035, Grand Hotel. Yep. We went through a debate in the beginning if it's a Grand Hotel or the Grand Hotel, but Google tells me it's just Grand Hotel, so let's not make things complicated, shall we? <laughs> All right. Uh, so what we do in the show is that we are going to go review the plot of the movie and offer our commentary here and there. And uh, after that, we are going to rate this movie on several different categories, including acting, writing, cinematography, and overall. And then we are going to give the movie a chance for some bonus points. Yeah. So with all that out of the way, how are you? I kind of skipped the intro there, huh? That's okay. Um, I think I'm good. I think. Uh, it's been a long week, but you right. know, not like a bad long week, just a long week. I'm looking forward to the weekend. How are you? I'm doing all right. I had a kind of hellish week, but you know, Ugh. I, I had a, a bunch of work and now it's dead and gone. Now it's dead and gone. Rip it from your memory banks. And I got to see a pretty decent movie yeah, this week. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I mean, you could see. We had some, you know, creaky ones in the beginning of the sound era, but they're finally starting to kind of get into the groove of it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, not to not to call anything too soon. No, of course not. But uh, this is the official winner of the year that it we're is. looking at, which I believe is 1931 to 32. So our last one before the big roundup where we re reveal our yes. Oscar winner. Yes, and we have some some pretty good contenders, I think. I think so. This has been a really good year. A, a very nice variety of genres. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. It's been pretty good. We had a interesting start with the uh, two Maurice Chevalier movies. Oh, God. I always forget about them, and then there they are. <laughs> oh, uh, okay, yeah. Can you I mean, imagine if, like, uh, Love Me Tonight or whatever won over... No, that wasn't even one of the ones we watched. Like if Smiling Lieutenant, if we chose that over any of the ones we've watched. Um, we would not be a good show. We would not be a good show. So spoiler alert. I mean, I don't even think that got a, a nom. So it's yeah, off, that, it's that off didn't the table. get a nom nom. So oh my God, Chevalier must have known where some skeletons were buried because why the heck was every single one of his <laughs> movies nominated back then? Maybe it wasn't Chevalier. It could have been Lubitsch. But anyways, we're, let us please stop talking about Maurice Chevalier. <laughs> we can't. See, that's the thing. We can't stop talking about him. It's like we're, we are probably slowly falling in love with him. That's the problem. And there's always that resistance at first. So we're doomed. <laughs> but speaking of doom, should we jump right into the summary? Yeah, let's jump to the summary of Grand Hotel. All right. Take it away, Laura. I will. Thank you. Edmund Golding's 1932 Grand Hotel opens on the Berlin Hotel's phone operators connecting their various guests. The alien accountant, Otto Kringlein, played by Lionel Barrymore, 
who has been told he's dying and tells his friend over the phone that he plans to live out his last days in style. Coincidentally, there's also his boss, the pompous and corrupt General Director Pricing, played by Wallace Beery, who is desperate to strike a merger to save his company. Uh, one of the porters is mad with worry about his wife going through labor, and because nothing has changed in capitalism, uh, he's not allowed to, like, you know, go and be there for his wife while she's going through labor. For a couple of days. For a couple of days. It seems. Oh, my gosh. I never want to give birth, but I am so glad that if for some reason I ever do, it is not. It is now instead of then. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and at the end, there is John Barrymore's Baron Felix von Geiger, who assures his criminal compatriots that he's insinuated himself into prima ballerina Grusinskaya's manager's good graces. So just... uh. In case people are keeping track, that's two Barrymores. That is two Barrymores uh, brothers. Uh, Lionel was, uh, I think, a little more well-known at this point for directing movies. He had directed a few, and I think, in the late, in the late uh, silent era and a few, I think, in the early talkies. And John Barrymore was, by this point, like a legendary stage actor. Like, okay. Gre- like Greta Garbo was starstruck to work with him. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, but he's, he was 50 in this, Jason. Oh, goodness gracious. He is a handsome man. I'm just going to say that. It has nothing to do with anything, <laughs> but he's handsome. And you can see why he's a star. He doesn't He doesn't do, again, kind of like um, uh, Helen Hayes in our last episode, Aerosmith. He doesn't ham it up like you'd expect a stage actor to. He's actually really underplays it. Um, yeah, he does a good job. And also another name that passed by, I noticed, was Wallace Beery. Wallace Beery. He, again, a huge jackass who didn't want to be in the movie. He didn't want to share the screen with all the stars. Like, this was the first all-star vehicle, really, Hollywood did besides something like Hollywood Review. Because, you know, what they wanted was they wanted to put all the big names in different movies so that people would go to all these right. different movies and more money made. But when this was such a huge hit, they realized... Oh, 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 we've hit a formula here. So this was the first. So it's definitely going to get a point for legacy when we get to that. But yeah, Beery didn't want to be with all those big stars and was only uh, convinced to do it when he found out he could be the only actor to actually attempt a German accent. Oh, goody, which he does. Intermittently. Yes, that that would be that would be the word. So this is our merry uh, cast of crew. I also like that it starts up with phone operators. 30s movies really liked their their sassy lady phone operators uh, back in the day because that's how uh, Five Star Final starts, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the lobby is Ottenschlag, played by Louis Stone, the hotel doctor, disfigured and jaded by the war. He observes to no one in particular, Grand Hotel, always the same. People come, people go. Nothing ever happens. Nothing ever happens to me. And it really doesn't to the doctor. No. Nothing happens to him, although he is around when things happen. It's kind of, I'm sure you can make a parallel once he observes that he was in the war, that it's kind of probably the same for him. There's always little drama bombs going on in the Grand Hotel, and so he just kind of goes through the motions. Mm, That's, yeah, that's probably it. Could be. Uh, so, up next, we have another big name, beautiful young Flameshen. That is not the famous name, <laughs> but... Played by the famous Joan Crawford. There we go. It uh, enters in search of pricing. She has been hired as his stenographer. 
While waiting for him, she flirts with the Baron, played by Barrymore, one of them. Which one? John. John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who makes a date with her for the next evening. Uh, this scene um, wasn't the most comfortable for me because there is a kind of awkwardness yeah, like she obviously gives him the cold shoulder at first, and it's the old cliche, well, you just got to keep chip, chip, chipping away at her, and soon she'll be all smiling and blowing kisses at you, and Joan Crawford certainly does. Um, so yeah, that's problematic. That That's a, that's a hard wire to type rope on. Yeah, I mean, and you know, it helps that both these people are very pretty and very charming, <laughs> You can, so it makes you kind of forget, it's like, oh, of course they like each other. But, you know, if you're a guy and a girl, you know, makes it clear that she's not into you, you're not John Barrymore. You're not going to get away with it. <laughs> and, and even if you are John Barrymore, Listen first, to the first lady. of all, what are you doing alive? <laughs> get back in that grave. And second of all, you know, think about it, won't you? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Women like respect. They think it's sexy. Uh, so um, the Baron also introduces uh, Flameshen to uh, Kriegelein. Am I pronouncing any of these names correctly? Uh, you know, I mean, it's German, so just as long as you sound angry. Flemshen? It, yeah, I think, yeah, it's suppo- I think the joke for American audiences is that, you know, this beautiful young young woman is named Flem. So I think that's pronounced Flem. And I think it's Kringelein. My, you know, two years of German in college that I've mostly forgotten. I do kind of remember some of the uh, pronunciation. So I guess that makes sadly yeah. me. I love, I love German movies too, and I can't pronounce their names to save my life. Well, they don't help us by like making names like Flemchen. <laughs> uh, so um, Joan Crawford is introduced yeah. by John Barrymore. Yes. To uh, Kringlein, who is played by Lionel Barrymore, right? Yes, okay. you got it. So you've got the two brothers introducing each other. <laughs> and uh, John Barrymore is the grandfather of Drew Barrymore. Okay, that's it. Okay. okay. Get on. Go on. We have a lot of trivia to give in. We in do. <laughs> and I keep trying to sneak episode. it in in the middle of the summary. It's probably very disorienting, but whatever. You guys are along for the ride. All right. Uh, Kringlein uh, has like this infectious aware uh, eagerness and naivete to everything that he does. Um because it's kind of revealed that he has a uh, very short time left on the clock. Yeah. We don't know why exactly, but he is uh, dying. Ter- terminally ill. Terminally so he ill. has decided to really live life to the fullest. And um, yeah, we first see him t- telling his friend on the telephone Just that this is what's going on. Very casually. He mentions, oh, yeah, they say I'm going to die. Like, and Barrymore, Lionel Barrymore plays the role so perfectly as just this, mm-hmm. like, bumpkin who's also just so very, very likable. It's uh, it's a good performance. Yeah, and I liked how when he goes to the front desk, he gets really upset because they get to give him a, well, quote-unquote, cheap room in the Grand Hotel, which and is probably still yeah. not bad. But he wants to live it up large. Right. And he, he gets what he demands. And uh, I think I think that tickles uh, Baron, who uh, like kind of adopts him, basically takes him under his wing. Yeah, sort of. Uh, you can tell that this this guy is kind of out of his element. Absolutely. Doesn't, doesn't know how to enjoy the good life. And he's going to kind of uh, give him some advice. And he does not like praising. Oh, no, he does not. I mean, um, none of us will, but he especially has it out for him because Prizing doesn't even know he exists. And he's worked in his factory for years. 
Uh, that's right. They're all connected. Kringlein worked in uh, Rising's uh, factory there. Yep. So uh, when Flameshin is allowed to enter Pricing's suite, she dutifully takes his dictation as he checks her out and becomes infatuated. However, his attention is quickly taken away by a telegram that states Manchester, one of the companies he's been anxiously trying to make a deal with, has definitely turned down his offer. And uh, I don't really wish there were more details about this, but you just kind of get like this very vague, uh, well, he needs to make some sort of deal with someone in Manchester for textiles yes, in order to make this merger with another company. With another company. I mean, it's all business, you know, business, 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 merger, merger, et cetera, et cetera. What's important is that uh, Beery is wonderful and goofy in the role. Yeah, he has, like we said, a intermittent uh, German <laughs> accent. And it's, I mean, it's kind of like he's clearly doing it and then he can't help but be Wallace Beery. <laughs> I know, I know. You I mean you look like that? You, you are Will, Wallace Beery. You're going to bring Wallace Beery. We're, we're just used to him talking in a certain way, and it's very distinctive of him. Yep. And I almost wish that they just kind of played him as him, but <laughs> but you know, I we we don't. I mean, get this what is want, what got him in the role. He wanted to show his range, and he did so intermittently. Meanwhile, the Baron hovers outside of the Prima Ballerina Grusinskaya's suite. Gru, as she's called, maybe once or twice, but I really glommed onto that because I think that's the name <laughs> of the villain in, Dis or not the, well, kind of the villain in Despicable Me. Uh, the main character <laughs> is named Gru, so that's what I'm calling her from here on out. Gru is played by one Greta Garbo, and she's a tormented soul, haunted by the life and loves she lost during the Russian Revolution. I've I've heard that name before. Yeah, uh, <laughs> she, yeah, you know, she uh, made a few flicks. This is what will drive you insane. So Barrymore's 50. And, you know, Garbo is playing this, you know, over-the-hill ballerina. Her career is on the wane. And Garbo was worried she'd be too old for the part. The girl was 27. Oh, my goodness. I know. She did look a little rough, but Garbo had had, you know, some years <laughs> at the top. Where I mean, she she's still gorgeous. From? Sweden, actually. Sweden? Yeah. Okay. Uh, gorgeous lady. I didn't mean it, Greta. You're beautiful. Um. Fewer audiences are coming to see her dance, which sinks her into a depression and makes her too nervous to go on. However, the Baron observes the kindness in her nature, such as when she holds her elevator to assist an old woman. That night, after a lie from the opera house's manager convinces her that there is a full house, Gru leaves for the theater. The Baron's partner in crime, disguised as a chauffeur, encourages him to break into her room to steal her pearls. The Baron eventually does after scaling the walls outside her balcony, which I wonder how they did that. That was an impressive... That was a stuntman. That but, was a stuntman, but... But it, it was impressive. It was. Like, they actually, like, show him scaling a freaking wall <laughs> like a human fly. I, I do wish we knew more about the Baron's background. Interesting fellow. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if he is, like, an actual Baron who's turned to crime or if he's a criminal pretending to be a Baron. Yeah. I mean, I think it was really easy to probably be one or the other back then in Ber in pre-war Berlin. So Weren't all the barons criminals. Well, yeah, I mean, anyone who has inherited <laughs> wealth is a criminal. <laughs> okay, so, however, he is interrupted in the job by the premature arrival of Gru, 
who fled the theater when she discovered the manager's lie and saw the paltry audience that showed up to see her. The Baron hides in her closet and listens to her despair to herself, alluding to suicide. He interrupts her and confesses he's fallen in love with her. Shocked by his sudden appearance, she lets him stay and falls for him as well. Yes, after a night of just kind of shooting the breeze. Shooting the breeze. I'm sure there was some monkey business too, but mostly shooting sure, the breeze. Sure, yeah. I think so, but the way that they shot it was almost like they just stood Sad. up and, and talked. Yeah, she finally found a guy to connect with her, man. He's a thief, yes. but you know you can't have everything. So, uh, yeah, they they appear to be madly in love. And actually, I didn't buy that the Baron, I didn't trust him. I didn't either. And I wonder if that was an intentional choice to make to leave us wondering. Because the stuff he says is just a little too smooth. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who can really love you. I've watched you from afar, and I've fallen for you. Oh, man. It's yeah. like... Oh, just a little too perfect there. And uh, a little bit too tailor made to suck in a prima donna ballerina who's just the way that Greta Garbo plays the character. Yeah, Garbo's performance, we will talk about it more in uh, uh, when we do the rating, um, but it's something. Like, yeah. it, it, I mean, she's obviously magnetic, but it's obvious that like her character is definitely hinging on some kind of deep, deep break. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, we're all a little nervous at this point for her, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, so the next day, pricing lies to the other company that he's been working with to get this merger that has... So, gosh, let me see if I can really recount what um, happens. Mop rags are mentioned a heck of a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of mention of mop rags. Which uh, we all appreciate a good mop rag reference, but there comes a time where you got to move past it. Right, so he needs this you know, deal with Manchester to make his company look more attractive for this merger. Mm -hmm. The other company keeps asking him, so what about your deal with Manchester? And he just keeps kind of putting it off and talks about how many mop rags he's made (laughs) in his textile factory. Yeah, it's a long scene, honestly, of them talking like nonsense because really there's no business mergers and they're not really giving a heck of a lot of details, but enough detail to make it all seem plausible, I guess. Yeah, you you get enough that you just kind of get the sense like, oh, they're talking business and saying business things. It is actually one of the funnier scenes because they're all such jackasses. Like when you came to us, uh, we came to you, you came to us, we sent you a letter, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty great. And Beery, again, I think just just really sells it. Yeah, he does. He's... Yeah, so the representatives from the other company are about to walk out on the merger when pricing, uh, he desperately needs this, and he tells them that Manchester has agreed to sign a deal with him. Yeah, just just like that, he's been burying the lead. He's been burying the lead. That is false. Uh, emboldened by his lie, he got their signatures, and um, they he goes off in search of Flamshen, who is waiting in the yellow room for the Baron for a for her date yeah the yellow room is just kind of i think uh, the hotel party room basically the bar and dancing all of that pretty much it's a grand hotel yeah pricing at first he's kind of like oh i've never lied in a business negotiation like this is the very first time and so then he realizes like well i guess i had better go to manchester in person and make this deal actually happen and uh since i've done one bad thing why not don't i do another bad thing and uh cook up with this cute little stenographer 
Exactly. He he his moral downfall happens at that moment when he lies. When he lies, see. So don't lie in business. That's the moral of this whole picture. Or it'll immediately downward spiral. Uh so uh he uh he goes looking for Flemshen and she's waiting in the yellow room for the Baron. However, the Baron has been waylaid by his night and morning with Gru. He confesses he came to steal her pearls, and although she's initially understandably upset by the news, she forgives him. And that, that's all the, the previous night. Mm-hmm. And he agrees to join the ballerina on a vacation in Vienna, but he knows that he has to find 5,000 marks in order to get out of his agreement with his criminal buddies. I know. When he finally makes it to the Yellow Room, he tells Flemchen that he's fallen in love, and although she's disappointed, she sees the Baron's kind nature and agrees to dance with Kringlein on his behalf. However, she and Kringlein are interrupted by Pricing, who tells Flemchen he has a job opportunity for her. Kringlein, drunk and sick of being walked over, insults Pricing. It's something that really just kind of builds throughout this whole interaction. It's like, uh, right. you know, at first, like he actually says hello to Pricing, and Pricing has no idea who he is and does not care and just wants to get with, uh, with Flem. So it just kind of, so, so Kringlein getting drunker on his beloved Louisiana flips that he keeps mentioning is just, which you noticed was made by raw egg. Uh, yeah, I looked at the recipe and it looked great until I got to the raw egg part, which is not really my jam. No, we should, we should make one without the raw egg, see how it goes. Yeah, we can try that. Um, so he at last flips out and like uh, tells Flemsh that he only has the position he does because he married into money and that makes uh, pricing uh, snap and when pricing snaps we learn he gets violent and so he's very violent very violent so he starts throttling him luckily the baron swoops in and rescues kringlein and uh, makes a bad impression on pricing and pricing makes a bad impression on the baron obviously and pricing convinces flamechin finally to travel with him for work and for pleasure oh, ho, ho. she doesn't like pricing but she agrees for the money it's established early on that she does not have any money she we she eats one meal a day i mean it's kind of unrealistic to have like you know beautiful well-groomed obviously healthy joan crawford saying this with a little smile on her face but you know good for good on them for not you know i guess soft pedaling that kind of thing i guess so i mean the, the depression affected everybody back then even in fashionable berlin uh, so Kringlein offers to give the Baron the money that he needs in that 5,000 marks. marks. Um, and actually, Bar- the Baron just says, like, well, oh, chap, I need money. <laughs> and um, and it's like a lot of money. At first, Kringlein is like, oh, I can give you 300 marks, like, right here, <laughs> like, which... You dumb bastard. <laughs> I, I don't know how much this is translating. And, of course, right now I'm just translating it into current dollars. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do? And, you know, marks at that time, they were probably worth nothing by the by the day's end. Yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the Baron's is like, oh, no, 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 I, I need more than that. And so what the Baron suggests is that they instead start a card game in Kringlein's room and invite card players. And yet it is Kringlein who wins the night and the Baron has to slip away with uh, the drunk man's pocketbook, the drunk man being Kringlein. So, and what's kind of endearing also is that it's the Baron who's coaching Kringlein on how, right. to, on how to play and how to bet in Baccarat, which is not a simple game. I've, not I've looked up game. how to play it before and it's 
It's not blackjack. Oh. So. <laughs> Throw it out the window. But, uh, no, yeah, uh, Kringlein just keeps winning and winning and just cleans the cleans the floor with everyone else. And so he's pleased, and the Baron still doesn't, uh, doesn't no demand cash. the money from him, and much worse, just tries to take just it Just taking it. It's like, if you just asked him for it, he would have given it to you, so that's a little contrived. Yeah, that's, it's not cool. Um, but, uh... In the excitement of the night, Kringleine kind of passes out. The doctor is there to kind of put him to bed for some reason. The doctor just kind of appears when when a doctor is needed. Yeah. yeah. He's um, a hotel ghost. Or is he called? I'm not even sure if he was there already. He might have been. Uh, He might have been. I mean, he seems like a groovy guy. I mean, spooky, but groovy. Uh, so after a while, Kringleine comes to and is frantic about his missing pocketbook which has all the money he has in the world. And moved by his new friend's despair, the Baron pretends to find the pocketbook and returns it to him. Here's your silly little pocketbook. It's like, just slip out the 5,000 marks. He's not going to notice. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a worse person than John Barrymore. That night, Flemchen returns to Prising's room, stealing herself for spending the night with him. Ooh, it's a painful scene. Yeah, it's like she's very businesslike about it. And you notice she will not look him in the eye and is like fiddling with like a her clock or something. And, you know, it's one of those things where it obviously proves what a jerk pricing is because he can obviously tell she's not into this, but he's going to do it anyways. Yeah. And he's it's not like he's usually doing this either. It seems like. Yeah, he seemed like, you know, a jerk, but like a. jerk who played by the rules until they didn't work for him so then he broke the rules right yeah that's a good way of putting it however pricing catches the baron in his bedroom trying to find money although the baron pleads with him insisting he only broke in because he was desperate pricing remembers the baron's contempt of him when he broke up the fight between him and kringleine the men struggle and pricing bludgets him to death with a telephone yeah, it's wild. It is wild and really well shot. We never once see his corpse, but we like we 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 see his prizing's face as he's because he's horrified by what he's done. When Flemchen sees, she runs off in heartbreak and disgust with prizing and goes to Kringleine in hysterics. I mean, I think it shows that Flemchen is just has probably isolated herself a lot and hasn't had a lot allowed a lot of people to be close to her. And so she doesn't go to the police. She goes to Kringleine, who she really has taken to, I think. Yeah. it Because she knows one, he's decent. One theme in this movie is these characters that you don't, you start off not thinking much of. I mean, right. Kringleine's just kind of a comic character. This, yeah. This buffoon who hasn't had money before and he's out of his element. Um, But the gamblers and everything like that, they eventually have come to respect him. Yeah. And uh, Flemshen, who I guess in a certain way stands in for the audience, at least at this point. I agree. Yeah. She, she realizes, no, Kringleine is, is a good dude. He's kind of weird. And he is out of his element amongst all this wealth, but he's a good person. He's so she goes to him. She goes to him just absolutely hysterical. And uh, Kringleine sobers himself up and goes to Prising's room and is likewise heartbroken to see his friend lying there dead. He says he was the most decent man, the man to treat him the most decently than anyone else. 
and pricing at this time is absolutely frantic. Uh, he promises to give Kringlein money and a promotion to keep quiet, but Kringlein turns him down and calls the police. And I think it's another testament to Kringlein's character where he's had such this like growing grudge against uh, pricing, but that, you know, I think a weaker person would have like held it over his head. Like you worm, you thought I was blah, blah. Instead, he's all he says is, okay, so we try to take your money. That's no reason to kill a man. And just very sober, like this is not a gloating moment or anything. This is just terrible. No. And you, he has like the strongest moral compass, mm-hmm. I think, of of anyone in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Not, not uh, everyone has. Even the thief has some honor. Yeah, and pricing. He's horrified by what he's done to give him that very very measly credit. Like if he were like a Columbo villain, he would have killed Kringlein and Flemshit too. <laughs> right. Right. Uh. But Kringlein, I remember specifically when uh, when pricing is telling him like, all right, you're going to do this and then you'll say this and I'll give you all this. And Kringlein's like, well, no, that's not what happened. You're telling me to falsify evidence. What, what happened. Yeah, like even it was though, self-defense, even though pricing is kind of. He's kind of working out what he thinks is a defense and none of it is really completely false he did find a burglar in his room but you cannot argue self-defense you know right yeah exactly yeah, that's the exactly. Thing, what he's trying to do and to do that he would need like kringlein and flemchen who he says he wants to like pay off too uh to like uh you know step because you know he's terrified that word will get out that he was with a, another woman because not only will he be arrested for murder but his wife will find out and blah 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 yeah yeah it's kind of weird that he's more He's more upset about the appearance of uh, having this affair than he is about the fact that he killed somebody. Well, another living person. I think maybe because, you know, the Baron did break into his room and the fact that Prizing is quite rich and probably has access to the best lawyers. There is a good chance he will get off for this, but the accompanying scandal will ruin him. I think he's really probably more scared of the scandal than right. of like actually facing a trial or whatever. Yeah. And he's also a person who you kind of assumed going into this, like, Oh, well, this is the good upstanding citizen. Oh yeah. Yeah. Very upright businessman takes care of his family, takes care of his job and all this. But so the, the guy who started off at the bottom is revealed to be this great moral character. The guy who has the facade of being this prestigious businessman, you find him to be a, well, a murderer. Murder, a lecherous and uh, gross. Yeah. 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 Again, all of these movies are, are appearing shockingly relevant to today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of. Yeah, I can see that. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So the next morning, Pricing is uh, taken away by the police. Gru ecstatically prepares for her trip and the maids all conspire to, t- to keep the truth about the Baron's death from her. I still don't understand how they pulled it off. I, I, they got the porters in on it too, and everything. I think it's just like let's just get her out of the hotel, and we will deal with this later. Uh, yeah, I am not impressed by the people around her. No, at that point. it's like at this point you're not helping, you're enabling, and this woman obviously needs some deep psychiatric help, and who she thinks is the true love of her life just died and he probably wasn't the true love of her life but she thinks so so it's gonna destroy her 
just be just be more proactive in, in yes. getting her some help. They keep telling her, it's like, oh, he'll be there at the train. It's like, is it going to be great when she finds out you just flat out lied about him not only not showing up, but being dead? But being dead <laughs> on the train. Like, that's going to be a fun freaking train ride. My God. In the back of her mind, Gru senses that something is wrong as she tries calling the Baron and keeps uh, looking back as she leaves the hotel. And, you know, she is a pretty cool scene where I guess the telephone operators had to be in on it, too, where she just keeps calling him and saying, like, yeah, the Baron's room. I, I need to talk to them. No, he has to be there. And Rue is a walking, dancing, hot mess. And I think the whole hotel knows that at this point. And so I think, yeah, the word just kind of tri- trickles down like. Just no, let's just not deal with this right now. We've got an arrest and a murder going on. Let's not deal with the hysterical Diva. Diva, Krusenskaya. Uh, Kringleine, meanwhile, is comforting Flameshen. Flame, Flemshen. 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 Keep saying Flameshen. No, that's too cool. It's Flemshen. Flameshen. Flemshen confesses that she loved the Baron. Kringleine offers to take care of her and take her to Paris. And I think for a moment, she believes like kind of like the way that pricing was going to quote unquote, take care of her. Mm-hmm. But from based on what we know of Kringleine, that's you. Yeah. And Lionel Barrymore, you get the sense he was a decent guy because he, co- he just radiates that you don't get the creeps from him. You get the sense that he really just wants, he wants a companion, a tonic mm-hmm. and he wants to, and he, lo- he loves Flemchin, I think as, you know, probably like just as a person. And just wants to take care of her. And I think, yeah. I would believe that he has the hots for her, but it's a much purer. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more like, oh, this nice lady's very pretty. So, yeah. Yeah. She she agrees and says that they'll seek out doctors and try to cure him. So that that has a positive note. And I like to think he does and has some fun years. The the porter is relieved to learn that his wife is all right and has delivered their healthy baby. You remember that porter at the very beginning? Very beginning? Is, do they let him ha- take time off to go and see uh, see her the baby? No, he has to wait till lunch. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> poor guy, poor guy. I know. As the hotel clerk signs a, in a pair of American newlyweds, Dr. Ortenschlag repeats his line from the beginning. Grand hotel. Always the same. People come, people go. Nothing ever happens. And then he starts into song. And this, my ladies and gentlemen, was the story of Freddie Mercury's beginnings. (laughs) As a doctor in Grand Hotel. Yeah, he got plastic surgery for the face and just looked totally different and decided to go for a musical career. And got way younger. Got way, way younger. So, yeah, quite, quite a flick. Quite, quite the melodrama. Um, yeah, like I said, it was the first all-star vehicle. And so I think the press, much like they would be today, were all giddy with the idea of, ooh, there's going to be drama, all these hot-headed stars together. But apparently Edmund Golding was just like a movie star whisperer. He must have had the- Oh, wow. He probably had like the best like people skills probably of any of the directors we had so far, especially the ones who like tried to get Jackie Cooper to cry by telling him his dog had been shot. Um, he apparently just was really good with the actors and everybody just got along super well. 
like uh, it's a cute story I read that, you know, Joan Crawford, who was actually about the same age as Garbo, but, you know, Garbo was just such an immortal figure from, right. you know, at this point that she was starstruck and would like walk by. They don't share any seeds, but they would see each other occasionally. And Crawford would always be like, hi. And uh, you know, Garbo kind of played it cool. But I guess one, you know, one time Crawford passed by without saying anything. And Garbo went, aren't you going to say anything to me? And then they just kind of got along from there. So it was nice. It's nice to read about like people getting along. Yeah, that's nice for a change. Yeah. Once again, the real, you know, the jackass is good old Wallace Beery. But (laughs) I mean, he brought a good energy to the role. He did. And speaking of people bringing energy to the role and and all that good stuff, shall we start rating these people? Let's rate these people. Let's let's reduce them to numbers. So our first category up is the acting. How do you feel the acting went? I I think that these are probably some of the best performances of these actors' careers. I mean, Garbo's is very strange to me. Like I told you, there's something almost kind of Tommy Wiseau about it, <laughs> that she's all over the place. Um, but it's kind of, it fits this diva, prima donna ballerina I'm, sort of yeah. look to it, that she's just like this flaky melodramatic mess as you put it um and i mean of course we get the the one of the most famous lines ever i want to be alone when she uh comes back from the theater and is in her her big white tutu and uh yeah really only garbo could have pulled that off i think yeah i think Um, so too and of course i think both barrymore brothers do a great job um i think lionel especially had a like Kringleine is such a likable character, and I think that does come down to the casting. And Barrymore was just great. Uh, Crawford wasn't used to playing characters like this. I mean, she played kind of, even at this point, she's kind of known for the hard, battened, sassy gal. And she brings a little bit of that energy to this, but she gets to be a lot more sincere and a little bit more naive than she had been allowed to be. And I think she really was very, very good and very convincing. Yeah, I thought she did a good job. Um, So I think I will give this a nine. A nine. You'll be shocked, and I've already typed it out, that I also put down a nine. Um, I was going to take points off, um, essentially, basically just for Beery's accent. I know, but Beery himself, once you get... The acting was good. It was good. Like, when he, uh, right before he tells his lie about Manchester, his face is just perfect. Like, he's like, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to, am I really going to, I am, I guess I'm saying it. And uh, very, very convincing. But oof, yeah, that accent. I think that's why I'm taking the point off. But yeah, no, I mean, everyone was terrific. Yeah, everyone did fantastic. All right. And our next category up will be writing. How do you think the story went? So, and yeah. I was, I didn't know what to expect from this. And I didn't know really what to expect throughout. But I was delighted by the end. I agree. Um, So like, it was adapted from a play that was adapted from a book by a woman named Vicky Baum, who was German. She had worked as a chambermaid at, I think, uh, diff- various fancy hotels. And so, like, based a lot of the story on that. And so I think we kind of get trickled down from this German translate, this German book to this stage play to here. And I think the transition is mostly very good. There is some clunkiness, like I said when uh, John Barrymore reveals himself to um, Greta Garbo, that it gets a little like maudlin and un- yeah. quite kind of unrealistic. But, you know, 
both he and Garbo are so good that you can kind of look past it. So I think I will give the writing a seven. A seven? Yeah. I'm actually going to bump it up to an eight. That's that's good. I was I was wavering. Um, and for all the positives and negatives that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. I, I think probably the weakest scene is, like you said, is probably between the Baron and Gru. They're the most... Because Gru is such a space creature compared to everyone <laughs> else. It's like she is really walks in from like a Russian tragedy, uh, basically by Chekhov or something in the midst of all these like uh, 1930s characters. That, mm-hmm. that it's just a little jarring. I don't know if they quite get the different tones right, but the rest of it all just comes together so seamlessly. Okay, and here's going to be a category where I think it's going to do well. Cinematography. Ten. 10. 10. There were like the really cool shot that they did uh, occasionally that was very disorienting, the kind of fish-eyed glant, like look down the- uh, The grand staircase. The grand staircase. Um, I think the shot of uh, the whole murder scene was really, uh, you know, good use of shadows and the, the, the camera kind of in John Barrymore's position, dead on the floor- kind of we're told his eyes are open it's like he's looking up at the face of his horrified murderer so yeah very impressive camera work oh yeah i thought it was great i thought the this we'll get this in when we talk about the sets but everything about this was very well orchestrated visually it felt almost choreographed some of it yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and there there were literally a dance scene Mm -hmm. and that was well shot as well yeah yeah not a showing off of like, hey, look at this dancing, but more like these two characters are dancing with each other and Kringlein and yeah, and Flemshen are having this moment where he's not dancing very well. She's indulging him. Yeah. And he's obviously getting a little bit sick. Because he, he is sick and he's also drunk as a dog. So. so, you know, and she takes care of him. It's a sweet scene. It is. And it wouldn't work necessarily as well without it being shot well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A lot of this wouldn't work very well if it wasn't shot well. Exactly. If it was just flat, it would just be a very weird melodrama. Yeah, yeah. You need to you need to have some I mean, especially since it was a stage play this was based on. You got to make sure things stay stay uh moving. Yeah. Yeah. Dynamic, really well done. Double tens. Double tens. All right. And our last category will be overall how well does the acting, writing, and cinematography come together to make an overall product? Woo-hoo. I will say eight. An eight? Yeah. They did good. You can see why this is a big hit. Gosh, I am going to be a little bit more generous to them than you. Okay. I'm actually kind of surprised that you gave them an eight. I uh, I don't know. Maybe it was just because the writing in that like one scene was just off enough to kind of make me... Um, yeah, I I get that. I get that. Um, I'm going to give them a nine. Good. Okay. That's, that's good. I'm going to give them a nine. I even toyed with the idea of giving them a 10 because it was, it did come together so well. It did really come together well. Um, why don't you bump me up to a nine? That way you can feel better about not giving it a 10. (laughs) Okay. Uh, that, uh, that drives Cassandra nuts. (laughs) She's like, you guys keep changing your scores after you talk to each other. I'm like, oh, well. Yeah, that's how it goes. Our our ideas are evolving as we talk them out. That really does happen mm-hmm. when we have these episodes sometimes oh. is that I 
my opinion of the movie increases or devolves <laughs> as as we discuss it. Same here. All right. Next up, we have some bonus rounds. Bonus points are available for these movies. Um, it is already sitting at a number 71, which, uh, let's see, puts it well ahead of Cimarron. Thankfully, um, yes. And ahead of One Hour With You and ahead of about on par before any bonus points with East Lynn. Interesting. Okay. They're, they're going to earn some here, let me tell you. All right, so our first chance for bonus points is going to be costumes and set. Five. Five bonus points out of five. I mean, just, so was that stunt person, like, actually scaling, like, a hotel? Like, how did they do that I don't, I don't think it was quite that, but it was basically, I think, a soundstage that they had dressed up or something like that, where he didn't have that far to fall. Like, yeah, the scope of it, and then. And again, it might be, you know, another point for the 10-point uh, cinematography, some impressive camera work to maybe make it look bigger than it was. Yeah, it was very well shot. Um, and But I do think it was uh, like a, a trick of him, yeah. him not actually dangling several, still, several stories high. Yeah, the sets were still very opulent. You really get the sense it's a hotel. And, of course, the costumes are all beautiful, um, you know, especially that all swanny kind of... Uh, ballet tutu that uh, Gruzinskaya uh, wants to be alone in. Oh yeah, there's there's that and that kind of puts her in a different plane of existence as yeah, well. Like, like her she, dress is not matching what everyone else, else is doing. wearing. Like even when she's in normal clothes, it's this gigantic like almost fortress of a fur coat she's wearing that goes like all the way to the ground. It's like it really makes her stand apart. And uh, I also like how uh, uh, Kringleine is he starts off looking really shabby mm-hmm. and then at, by the end he's wearing a top hat and yes. and looking spiffy but he's still not quite as put together as as he should be as the Baron for example <laughs> yeah it's 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 perfect for his character all right uh, our next category for for uh bonus points is boldness what type of risks does this take and um, that pay off gosh I mean I guess they did want to, like, poor Joan Crawford was really proud of this performance, but once again, a lot of the censors originally hacked out a lot of her scenes. Oh, that's that's a shame. Um, because, you know, so salacious. Um, but I think, you know, what's there, I mean, boldness is hard because it's like what the risks they take are of, like, risks that you would expect in a melodrama, mm-hmm. you know? So it's not really like, I mean, I guess it's pretty bold to have this, you know, great tycoon who's supposed to stand for like you know success and everything get arrested for murder so i guess i will i'll give it two points on that give it two points for boldness yeah what do you think maybe you'll point out something that'll make me raise or lower the score again gosh i was going to say this is a tricky one because i had to sob and think about it we have uh joan crawford's character which is definitely scandalous um because she Basically, she says she she shows him um, a portrait of herself where she says, like, yeah, I'm also a model. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. That's, and that's, uh, that's ooh, ooh, scandal. Yeah. Uh, Walsbury likes that. Yeah, he does. And so you almost get the sense that she is kind of, in a way, setting up this opportunity for her to become 
his mistress for a short while, but she kind of doesn't like the idea so much when it finally comes to happen. Yeah, I think especially after hanging out with the Baron and Crinkleine and seeing, oh yeah, there are decent guys out there and I have to I have to shack up with this doofus. Yeah. So but I mean fact is they, they didn't they didn't really sugarcoat it that much. No, they didn't. They they censored it, but they didn't completely close off the the door. So um that's a long winded way of saying three. That's fair. Three because they they did make the uh the the magnate look pretty bad. <laughs> yes. And um and I think it was kind of bold to have uh Greta Garbo play such a outrageous character and still have it work. Have it work. And to kill off the male romantic lead. There's that too. You know, I yeah. remember being shocked when I first saw this like, "What? Really? They killed him?" Like it's it's not yeah, it's yeah, for a long time I was thinking there's like, did they really? Is he going to come? Was he going to wake up after being bludgeoned with a phone? Can you kill somebody with a along, phone was another question with, I had. Along with Suki's dog from Skippy. We haven't mentioned Adolphus. Oh, we haven't mentioned Adolphus. Adolphus is the best character. He's he's a little wiener. Is he a wiener dog? Yeah, he's a little dachshund. He's a little dachshund. Little dachshund. It, it's a really cute scene with him and Barrymore. He's Barrymore's dachshund, as in the Barons. And they're playing on the ground, and the Baron's like, it's a strange thing for a chap to say to another chap, but you're the only person I love. And I'm like, that's the that's the dream team right there. <laughs> but after he dies, the porter takes him away, and he's like, and the somebody's sweeping and kind of like gets him in the butt, like, oh, poor just taken away with the trash poor poor adolphus oh i'm sure adolphus wins wins his i hope he goes to gruzinskaya that'll be nice that's that's that'll go into my fan fiction yeah yeah he he finds a way he, he finds find, a way. he finds a train to vienna if any and charms his way aboard if anyone's gonna make it in this crazy world it's adolphus don't worry folks okay so wow <laughs> you spent a lot on, on that one anecdote <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it. All right. So two from you, three from me. Up next is Legacy. I think this Five. has a pretty great legacy. Five. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it was the first all-star vehicle and it did so phenomenally well that it's a well they've gone to again and again, old Hollywood. And um, I think really was allowed a lot of those actors to show a range. They hadn't particularly had the chance to like Crawford. Um, and of course, we all know that Crawford's career only rises and rises and rises until she becomes a bit of a notorious boogeyman in Hollywood. But, you know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, quite the legacy, I'd say. Yeah, I think alone for the star studded cast. Yeah, that that alone. Yeah. And I think it really like reached like it's like peak melodrama, like done really well. And I think, you know, we see a lot of movies and they're usually all star vehicles that like either take place in a certain like fancy setting and then all this melodrama happens. And I think this might, you know, whether it's like the Poseidon adventure or, you know, airport or something. Um, I think this might've been one of the first, like no real like external disaster happens, just emotional disasters and a murder and a murder and a murder. Speaking of all that great stuff, longevity, how well does this movie stand up over time? 
You know, I want to give it a five, but I, I hate to keep harping on it. I do think I can imagine some modern audiences snickering at some of Barrymore and Garbo's lines together. So mm. I think, yeah, I will just take off a point for that. But other than that. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it the full five. Do it. Because I think that that scene was funny. And I also think it was kind of meant to be funny in a weird way. It was, I think, meant to kind of push us off balance. It's like he enters this weird twilight space region she lives in and just kind of, they're both weirdos who kind of tap into their weirdness together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's kind of a weirdo too. He is. The Baron is kind of out of of time himself. He is. They're both kind of just like like weird interdimensional travelers or something. And uh, both kind of go insane together and fall in love together. And our last chance for uh, points is technical. I'll give it a five. Yeah. Yeah. The shots were, there are some technical expertise there. I know that goes in the cinematography and everything like that. But, but it's all involved getting, now. Getting the camera where it was, <laughs> was probably some technical uh, feats. Yes. And also, I kind of want to include the stunts as part of like the oh, technical absolutely. expertise. Yeah, there. you have to have a lot of expertise for that. It was nuts. Yeah, it was it was impressive him leaping from balcony to balcony there. Yep. So full marks on technical as well, which gives it a final score of 115. Holy crud, Grand Hotel. That puts it one behind Blue Angel. So which was also German. <laughs> which is also, you know, actually German. Um yeah. 115, and equal with Public Enemy. Yeah, that's, that's about right, I'd say. I think they're about in the same quality. Um, I mean, I think this had better production values, definitely, but I think, and uh, probably a little better writing. But overall, I mean, I feel like this is the first really big Hollywood movie we've really seen. Like, Hollywood at its finest in this time. Yeah, it's a very Hollywood, Hollywood movie. It is, it is. So, um, and... Yeah. I was checking and I thought it might be the highest, but it is not the highest of this uh, Oscar season so far. Oh, yeah. That belongs to five star final, which beat it by two points. You know, it's going to be tough for me. Uh, yeah. And when we do the uh, roundup, it's going to be tough for me. These are I got two hot contenders in mind, and this is one of oh. them. Five star final is one of them. So I guess that kind of answers the next question of will oh, we yeah. give this an Oscar nomination? Well, Yes. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, this deserves a Notsker nomination. It is very prestigious. It won Best Picture mm-hmm. from the official Academy of Arts and Sciences, right? Arts and Sounds and, and Things. And Merriment. The, the Academy. Yeah, the Academy. Nothing weird or intimidating about that phrase. Um, but will it win the overall? From all these nominations <gasps> from us. It's just getting harder as the movies get better. <laughs> so I almost yearn for the days of in old Arizona and. Um, and other garbage. And other garbage. We're like, well, this was the least crappy one. So I guess it takes the cake. This is like, oh, no, actual contenders. Yeah. They not, all win. They're all winners. Not since. Uh, not since our silent first. first yeah, yeah silent our, our only silent era uh, has it been this tough. And even then I was like full full steam ahead for uh seventh heaven yeah for sure uh, um this is going to be trickier i'm going to really have to give it a think 
Yeah. And um, not to add out the episode, but let's see, who do we have on the not screw list so far? We have five star final, which was great. The champ, which was great. Bad girl, which was great. Mm-hmm. And now grand hotel, which is great, which was great. And we said no to smiling Lieutenant Shanghai express one hour with you and Aerosmith. Yeah. I mean, and I wouldn't say any of those are quote unquote bad movies. It's just the Marie Chevalier musicals make you want to poke your eyes out after a while when you see that many of them. Yeah. None of them are Trader Horn. None of them are Trader Horn. Uh, the lowest bar we could possibly set. Yeah. <laughs> lo- lower lower than Hades itself. <laughs> Trader, Trader Horn, Horn did not show up this, this season. So oh. that's good. Oh. Well. I think that's it. I think for that's this it. episode. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at comebackastar. You can email us at comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com. We do have a Facebook page and uh, there's been a minimal amount of interaction with it. And sometimes I even post the episodes up on there. You lucky devil, you getting to work <laughs> with the Facebooks. But uh, yeah, that'll be our episode for today. I will now draw the curtains. Join us next week to find out the grand winner. Exactly. Good night, everyone. Toodaloo.